You know what I love about a strip club? I can't imagine. The rules are literally written on the wall. You know exactly what you're getting. No surprises, no emotions, just simple, transactional, simulated sex. It's so pure. The official podcast of HoboTrashCan.com. You can share your thoughts on the show anytime by emailing Joel at Murphy's Law at HoboTrashCan.com. Hi, this is Jack the Stripper, and you're listening to Hobo Radio. Please enjoy my interview about flashing my gas for cash. And now, your host, miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today, I have a very special podcast with you. I am once again talking to Jack the Stripper, uh, which many of you will remember. I talked to her back in May. Uh, We had a very awesome, candid chat about her blog, about her life. And uh, I I highly recommend going back and listening to that. But uh, the reason I'm having her on again, um, besides the fact that it was a very well-received episode and I got a lot of really great feedback on it, was that since the last time we talked, she has now released a memoir called The Beaver Show. And she is currently uh, has a Kickstarter going to try to raise the funds for a tour to go across the country promoting the book. So seemed like a really wonderful time to uh, check in with Jack, see what she's up to, and to uh, talk to her about the book, which she was nice enough to send to me, and uh, about the tour. So without further ado, I hope you really enjoy it. Go for it. Shoot. <clears throat> All right. So um, yeah, obviously, since the last time I talked to you, you you now have a book, which is very exciting. Um so how how did this come together? Like, when did you start working on it, and when did it? You know, you really. Uh, that's a. <laughs> when did you start working on it? I started. Well, when did I start working on the book? The Beaver Show. The Beaver Show started the day I started stripping. I've always been a writer, but when I actually started to sit down and write it was in Santa Fe, which was a couple of years ago, and then I wrote the draft and put it away for a really long time and then I decided to self-publish it six months ago. Yeah, you you have sort of a, there is a meta moment in the book where you talk about writing the book in New Mexico, like as part of the book, which is, uh, but yeah, was, so that, was that always in the back of your mind as part of, you know, as a stripping, obviously you, you talked about this last time, there are a lot of good stories. Was that always kind of filed away as like, this will make a good book someday? I think there was one of those um, Oprah, Oprah-esque aha moments when I was dancing for a client and he, and I was just talking about my life and he just said, so when's your book coming out? And it's really just a line that flatters someone. I use it all the time on people who, who have interesting lives or who have almost interesting lives and you want to flatter them and you say, when's your book coming out? It makes everyone feel really good. So that line was used on me. And I hadn't heard it before, so it worked. I was like, when is my book coming out? My life is really interesting. <laughs> and uh, I took that that fake compliment very literally, and I really started to think about writing a book. And I'd always been a writer. I'd written about anything. So stripping was just something that people were interested in actually reading about. So I, I, I've always been sort of filing away notes and stories and blogging and, uh, and the book I decided the book needs to be something serious. I really loved, I really loved the career that I've chosen for myself. And I, but I need something else too. You know, I needed something to carry, to care, to take. What am I trying to say? I needed something to, to show for it beyond just money. Personally, I needed something to show for it. I wanted some sort of account of it. I like to, I like to immortalize things. 
<laughs> so what what was the process actually like for you though? Did you kind of have some decent notes to start out, or was it really just recalling from memory? And what was it like to sort of go back and and examine these moments in your life? It was it was really interesting, and that actually I have a lot of notes. I, I keep a really detailed journal. And especially interesting things people have said to me, I write down verbatim. Hence, that's sort of where the 100 Days of Pleasantries came from. It's just really eccentric, outlandish, hilarious, or brutally honest things people have said. I have always kept a detailed record. Like, I always had a notebook in my backpack in the dressing room. But, um, so when I, when I revisited my notes, all of those memories really flashed back very vividly. I have a really... Um, I have a really strong recall. So everything that I remember, I remember very vividly. And it helps not getting too drunk at work. Sometimes I get drunk at work, but a lot of times I really want to remember everything. So I try to keep it relatively sober. And uh, revisiting all those notes, just turning it into a full-fledged story for my memories was really, it wasn't even that hard. It was just hard sitting down every day and writing. That's always the hardest part of being a writer is actually doing it. Yeah, you know, I, writers talk about writing all the time. No, I, I <laughs> feel like talk I can, about writing books all the time. Yeah, I feel like I can relate to that. As like, there's tons of writers who have this great idea in their head for uh, novels. Me, probably being one of them. But uh, yeah, the actual sitting down and writing part seems to be the part that eludes a lot of writers. So, like, yeah, I, I always just anyone who writes and finishes and puts out a book, I always have a tremendous amount of respect just for that process. Thank you. It is an insane process. I think the internet too is just hinders me so much. I think it hinders <laughs> everyone. I mean, I feel, I feel like I just wasted so much time looking at, you know, vortexes of websites, and I could have just been writing. So I kind of Santa Fe was good for that because I had a really, really shitty internet connection. And I had no <laughs> friends and nothing to do. So that really helped. Well, I, I'm a little curious. I mean, obviously, when you're kind of writing about strip clubs and you're writing about that kind of life, there, there's a certain anonymity to the people. You know, a lot of people are using aliases and stuff like that. But was there any concern when you were writing the memoir about talking about specific people or like worrying about telling certain stories? Or did you kind of feel like everything was fair game? Hmm. Well, I've never disclosed anybody's true identity clients and colleagues alike because because stripping isn't something that you can tell the world that you do and people will respect you for it you know your life can really change dramatically if that secret gets out and that's shitty and I want to change that stereotype but it's still a very real problem so I'm very protective of the people who who walk into those places, not just the other girls, but the men too, you know, like I respect them for giving me that story, but I'm not going to ruin their lives because of it. I would never do that. Like I'll tell the story, but I, I don't want to compromise anybody's livelihood. Not for real. Right. Um, and then I change all the names of the clubs too, because a lot of clubs make you sign um, contracts where you're not allowed to talk about the club for two years or five years or something like that, because there's a lot of, um, how can I say this? They just don't want you disclose, like revealing their secrets. Right. Which I think is crazy, but also kind of magical. A lot of companies make you sign NDAs. So everybody has an alias, I, which I think makes, I think makes it easier to tell a story because you, it doesn't really, you're not actually defaming anyone's character. I do think, and again, we probably talked a little bit about this last time, but I think that's one of the fascinating things about strip clubs is like, there's such a taboo about it and people don't want to talk about it, but there is a, a fascination with how they work and just the, the inner workings and realities, which no one ever talks about, which is kind of like, I think makes your book so cool is that, because I always, for me, like, it's always the weird sort of mundane stuff about it that you wouldn't think about, you know, of the way strip clubs work that end up being really fascinating. The sort of just like slow periods or the the weird rules or stuff like that, that you, you mm -hmm. just don't, people don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, 
I find that like the, the I feel like strip clubs are are pegged as profoundly fake environments. But I think that that makes them so brutally honest. I think that there is an honesty between two people who will never see each other again and who don't know each other's real names. Like there's no consequence to anything that will happen. Like you might lose a few bucks, you know, but you're investing in entertainment. So you're not losing money. You're just paying for entertainment, which is an investment on your, you know, happiness quotient. So when you walk into a club and you don't know anybody who's standing in front of you, but you have the opportunity to interact with them, you can kind of like be whoever you want and be whatever you want. And sometimes you're engaging yourself in a fantasy. Like if you're a client, you like, if your real name is Ralph, you know, maybe you want to be like Sigmund or something. And maybe you want to have a totally different story and you want to entertain your own fantasy of being someone else. And there's no consequence to that. You're not a liar. You're just going in and having a fun time. Whereas if you did that in real life, if you introduce yourself as Sigmund when your real name is Ralph and then you got caught out in a lie, then it's embarrassing. You know, there's there's no sort of embarrassment in a strip club like that. You're just there to have a good time and whatever that means can be, uh, there's no judgment. It's just kind of you being whoever you feel like being in that moment. And I think there's a lot of compassion there. And I like that. And I find also a lot of people don't really make up those many fantasies, that many fantasies about who they want to be. I find that when people walk in, they're kind of a much more stripped down, very real version of themselves because people need to share their stories and their secrets. And and the easiest way to do that is with a stranger who's who's never going to leak it to anyone. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of the thing is that you it could go either way of, like you said, the person pretending to be something or the person who, yeah, because this is a secret thing that they're doing and they don't know the people, that it is their one chance to be just ridiculously honest, which is kind of fascinating, too, that you get those two extremes. And you'll never know the difference, too, you know? I won't know the difference. I take everyone's story for face value. Sometimes you can really smell a lie, but it's it's not the lie that you're smelling. You're just like, oh, this is somebody who wants to engage in this fantasy. And you go along with it because that's your job. It's improv. You know, you're like, oh, you're a, you're a firefighter. Okay. You're a firefighter. We're going to go with this. Like I'm going to assume that what you say is true and it's fun for everyone. Yeah. I never thought about the crossover, but I guess there is a lot of improv, a lot of yes anding involved in. Uh... Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I wrote a. Elliot, there's this like Tina Fey wrote this great um article about like rules for life that are that are also rules for improv that should you should apply to your the rules of your life, which is you know yes and and always you know support your partner. And Tina Fey is like a notorious stripper shamer which is pretty unfortunate because i really like her as a comedian as a writer but she fucking hates strippers um which is you know that's her she can she can hate us it's fine i will love her um (laughs) that's our job as strippers is to just love everyone back until people can't hate us anymore um but I, I really, I thought that she would make a great stripper because those improv rules are so important about just like being, being down for what your like what your partner wants to do and working through it within your own limitations and with your own abilities and, and like creating an environment that, that is, uh, that is supportive of what the other person wants to create. You know, you want to avoid conflict at all costs. It's pretty, it's a really fun, like I took some improv classes and I found it was, I found like I already knew a lot of the rules because I'd been stripping for a couple of years. And I was like, oh, this is just like work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, uh, I don't know, the crowds might be a little easier at the strip clubs than some of the uh, improv shows that I've been to, but <laughs> might be. Uh, totally. Yeah, easier yeah, I mean, rooms. I'm, I'm not very good at improv. Like an incredible improv show that's like, you know, really seasoned improv improvisers that's an amazing spectacle but i've been to and participated in a number of really horrible shows and that's just brutal at least in strip clubs there's like smoke and 
red lights and plastic shoes and glitter and tits. I mean, that's a, that's just already a better improv show. I'm not even really talking about the performance. <laughs> no, I mean, as someone who I've done improv for years, I think everything about improv shows, like I always feel so weird inviting people to them. I, I, yeah, I think it's tougher than asking people to come to a strip club to go like, come see me and five friends, you know, make up some, some scene work, you know, we're really doing good. Right. <laughs> I mean, the way that she stirs that pot is really just <laughs> really believe it. No, it's, uh, <laughs> um, the, uh, the one thing that it kind of struck me as I was, uh, reading through your book is there's sort of this idea of, um, I don't know if this was intentionally a theme or it just seems to keep coming up, but like of your own personal boundaries in terms of as you enter different situations, sort of defining what the the situation sort of change and you're sort of confronted with, uh, you know, trying to stick with your boundaries that are pre-established, but then as new situations arise, like the, in particular, there's kind of the uh, moment where you go to, to France with the, the one guy that comes to mind or, or just in terms of like different mm-hmm. clubs and having different rules of when you start out that even lap dances or private rooms were a certain way and they're, they're different. Was that something as you sort of went through this journey that you thought about a lot or, or were confronted with a lot of just sort of questioning your boundaries or sort of being confronted with what your boundaries were? Yes, absolutely. I'm still confronted with, with, um, people and circumstances challenging my boundaries. I think that's just, that's life though. I think that's life for everyone, but it's very heightened when you're a stripper because boundaries mean a lot of different things, but a lot of the theme, a lot of the boundaries we're talking about from the Beaver show are sexual boundaries and like, what, what is your price? You know, what will you do for X amount of dollars? And when it's so blatant and in front of you, it's like, will you do this for this much money? And you're routinely asked this question. Um, it's really every single day you're like, will I do this for this amount of money? Yes or no? Yes or no? And boundaries are flexible. And boundaries are dependent upon how you're feeling and who you trust and where you are and what the laws are and how much money you need. Right? So... Yes, I'm in constant battle with my boundaries, and that's a lot about the, what the book is about, because a lot of people talk about sex work and stripping, and are they one and the same, or are they different? And I personally feel that stripping is sex work. However, the boundaries are different, mostly because it's legal to be a stripper and it's illegal to be a sex worker. So stripping, you can you can exercise your business in an establishment that's protected under the law, and the law creates boundaries for you, whereas with like full service sex work, because what you're doing is illegal, which is ridiculous, it should be legalized and regulated. Um, you have to kind of create those boundaries yourself and you have to be much more wary of them because of law enforcement, because of your safety and all these things. So, yeah, boundaries are absolutely a huge theme in my life every single day that I go to work. And even when I don't go to work, you know, you're really, people always want things from you. I mean, maybe, I mean, I think that's just, yeah, people always want things from you and you have to, you have to figure out if you're willing to give that and at what cost. Yeah. And you know, everyone's a whore. It's great. <laughs> you just got to like, what, how, how much, how much of a whore are you? And like, what, how much, what do you need in order to get to where you need to go? Yeah, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> and well, that's what's interesting too, because even when you talk about the the clubs, like definitely they have rules and there are state laws and all that. But within a club, I would imagine there's you know what your boundaries are versus there might be another stripper who might be willing to to go home with someone or to do Absolutely. something. You know what I mean? So even mm-hmm. from person to person in the club, the boundaries are different. Which you know again, a hundred percent. And I I think it's really yeah, interesting. Every person. Well, I think it's really interesting, too, that you kind of mentioned that, like, even every person on every day, because, you know, like the the mood you're in and the person that you're dealing with, because I would have to imagine if you were when you were getting into stripping, like if you really sat down and thought about it, you'd probably 
in your head, we're like, well, I'm never going to go on a vacation with a guy that I meet in a club, you know, like, or I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you didn't, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I would have to imagine you until the situation came up that you probably didn't imagine that that was something that you might do until that guy asked on that day kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think to really be true to yourself in terms of what you're willing to do and what you aren't is is about being present and about trusting your instincts. And it's not that my instincts were wrong, but I definitely, I went too far sometimes. And I think that's important. It's important to go too far and to realize that that wasn't the best idea. Yeah, and I, I not to and, keep dwelling on the this one <laughs> chapter in your book, and for people that haven't read it, but yeah, I, I did just find it really fascinating because the it is a, chapter. Yeah, because it really yeah. is just you questioning pretty much everything and feeling like you were clear. Uh, just to, I guess to set it up a little bit, like basically you go on this trip trying to make it very clear to the guy we're just going as friends. We're gonna have separate rooms. You just kind of right. thought of it as like, I am your traveling companion. Uh, right. Absolutely. But clearly that wasn't. I'm an idiot. Right. Yeah. That wasn't his expectations. <laughs> I'm an idiot. And a lot I'm of people. So naive. Right. And you kind of even talk about that of like you telling that to people and pretty much everyone you talked to about it after the fact was like, well, yeah, of course he tried to have sex with you. Like, of course that's what. But just, I don't know. It was a weird, like fascinating sort of moment of just. Uh, regret and sort of odd guilt because you you felt like you were letting this guy down because you didn't like you weren't until kind of it all imploded like you didn't really obviously hate him or anything that you wanted to go on this trip I, I don't know to me like again like I said it was just such a fascinating moment of you kind of too late but luckily not in a terrible way but like when you're mm-hmm. in you know, friends realizing I shouldn't have probably been here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I didn't feel guilty. I've never been much of a guilty spirit, to be honest, but I, I felt enormous frustration. I felt guilt because I, the man was lovely. I did like him. But once I, once he stopped being lovely and started being frustrated himself, I felt very frustrated with the entire belief that a woman is not, worthy of being a friend or a companion in any way unless she's fucking you that is like an awful reality that like well what were what good are you to me unless we're fucking right this is that whole um like women as friends with men and like men calling like men creating this concept of the friend zone that that shames women for not fucking men you know, and that was enormously problematic and shitty. And I was furious because we had established that we were going as friends, but he was like friends and friends is with quotation marks around it. And is like, well, eventually you're going to fuck me, you know, and that, that is a, like, why, why does that, why does that reality exist? You know, why are women expected to always fuck someone, yeah, and- you know, after a certain amount of time? Yeah, and again, I think that I think is that, that was really that was so frustrating, and it's still very frustrating. I still harbor those feelings of, of like, why is why is my company not worth anything until like your dick's wet? Like, what the fuck is that about? That is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I think that's the whole thing. Is like you're totally right in your your convictions and in your stance on like we established this but then as you you even acknowledge in the book it's like of course as soon as you tell everyone else that it's sort of just this weird like winking of him going like oh yeah just friends separate rooms wink wink and still like in his head not just acknowledging anything that you're actually saying and going like well it's clear that if i take her on this trip that this is going to happen you know like that's right we're just dancing, you know, it's just, yeah, all of that again, like I said, I, I think it's just, it is this really uh, bizarre and, and sort of, you know, terrible chapter to read because it is sort of yeah, so it was, far it was out. Low point. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that is your, 
Yeah, that's definitely that's the end of your second act when, you know, you're walking home in the rain and really questioning what you're doing. Um, but uh, and then you go. I think the next chapter after that is when you go to New Mexico and start writing the book. So, you know, then you get that yeah. montage. It all, you know, it all works out. But that definitely is a tough part to read. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a tough couple of days and and it could have been a lot worse. I mean, the reality is also that that um that it like the the experience I I like that it was hard to read cuz it was it was hard to write and it was hard to go through those 5 days, but but uh there are, and I also like confront other things that have happened to me in the past before I started stripping that were shitty with men. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to dwell too much on like the shittiness of, of men, you know, that's, that there's enough of that, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I feel like the least, the, the worst like experiences that a lot of the women that I know at work and myself too, have all been outside of the strip club, you know, right. I find strip clubs are relatively respectful places. There is security. It's fucked up that it's always male security and that's what is the threat, but but yeah, it's always outside of work and very real life experiences that like this feeling of unsafety and uh, and like looming assault is more real. And that's just, and then there's this idea like, oh, we don't know how safe you are at work. You're like, I am the safest I've ever been at a strip club. It's when I leave that life starts to get scary, you know? Right. Yeah. I think you even. This you- is this weird paradox. Yeah, you kind of mentioned that in the book of like, yeah, in a strip club at any given moment, you can signal the the bouncer or whoever to kind of clear someone out the moment you're uncomfortable, which obviously does not exist in life. Like there isn't there aren't. Uh, although maybe you'll get to that point where you can just hire a personal security detail to to follow right. you around. Oh, God, isn't that privilege with a capital P? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, just got... I don't want to ever get to that point. No, no, I, I think that's... I don't want to ever need security. I do want success, but not that much success. Uh, well, <laughs> well, that's uh, that, that's a good sort of uh, thing to, to transition to. What what has it been since the book has come out? Like, what has the reaction been? And, and what has your life been like since uh, this has come out? It's been, uh, it's been great. It's the the coolest thing to hear is I'm reading your book. Yeah. When someone tells you that it's really, I will never tire of hearing that. And people who tell, and and just anyone's feedback, it's hilarious. It's, you know, I want to be a stripper. Like people have come up to me and told me that. And that was my dream. My dream was to write this book and encourage people to be strippers. (laughs) <laughs> if they hate their job and they have like aspirations that extend beyond hating their job. And I've heard all of those things already and it's only been out a couple of weeks. And the, the support for my, for my tour has also been incredible. Like I'm planning my book tour, the Beaver Show book tour to go around to starting with seven cities, but ideally I want to go to at least 20 cities and people are really excited to like in all these different places for me to come and bring the show there. And that's just so thrilling that like the book has been like, the book is only the beginning. And and it's, it's such an incredible feeling that, that people want like me to be part of, you know, their community. That's really fucking rad. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. it, it's definitely awesome. And uh, I so I do want to ask you about the the Kickstarter that I know you started for the the tour. Like, um, just if you want to tell people a little bit more about that, about how like what exactly it is and how they can get involved and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. The Kickstarter is for the Beaver Show book tour to help finance my travel expenses and to print more books. And I want to travel to, I want to start to travel by going to Toronto and Montreal, Vegas, LA, San Francisco, and Chicago. Well, there's a few other cities too, but we're going to start with those. And I want to, I want to humanize sex work. I want to be out there on the front lines as a comedian, but also as an out stripper who's a human being because there's this, there's this, like, the fact that strippers are people is a radical notion 
that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be a radical notion. So by taking the show on the road and doing all sorts of different kinds of performances, like I won't be reading my book in bookstores. Maybe I will, but that's not the idea. The idea is to, to talk to as many people as I can, to go to strip clubs, to go to comedy clubs, to do stand-up shows, because that's really my element. And um, to sell my book and take it on the road and revisit the places where I sort of got my legs to the stripper. I'd love to go back to Santa Fe and, and visit those wonderful people and, and sort of give back to the strip club community in a, in a new way that I can. So, so that is what the Beaver Show Tour is about. And you can, by pledging my Kickstarter, you can get a copy of the book. You can get an off-duty stripper t-shirt. You can also pledge and get a print from my 100 Days of Pleasantry series. And uh, if you're feeling like a real baller, you can bring the Beaver Show to your town, wherever it is. If you want me to go to Little Rock, Arkansas, I will go to Little Rock, Little Rock Arkansas, and I will put on a show in Little Rock for you and your friends happily with bells on <laughs> so many bells on so how I, I mean just listening to to your description of uh the tour like how planned out will it be will it just be kind of like you'll know the cities you're going to and you'll have maybe some of the stuff worked out and, and you'll kind of come up see what comes up or like is it going to be very regimented of you'll you'll know ahead of time these are the specific places i'm going to be like i'm kind of curious about the actual overall plan i do have confirmed um venues for la ottawa toronto montreal and new orleans of people who have agreed to host me and put on a show so that's really exciting and uh we're going to confirm those dates once the Kickstarter is financed and the the dates work with them. And that will be between January and June of next year. So I'm going to be traveling one week per month to these different places because I still need to, you know, live my life in New York. I can't really go on a three month tour as wonderful as that might be. And, uh, and what, and then it's going to sort of evolve organically around that venue. So there's a gallery in New Orleans that wants to host me, which is really exciting. And then I'll be visiting bookstores and doing readings. But I'm kind of planning just one venue per city to really anchor it. Nice. And I uh, just yeah. to put it out there officially, I, I've been trying to guilt you into coming to Baltimore. I, I'm working on I want to go to Baltimore. <laughs> no, and I, I need to reach out to a venue there for sure. Yeah, no, I'm going to try to help you a bit behind the scenes to uh, see if we can get something set up, because I think that would be awesome. And we are... Uh, that would be so cool. Yeah. That would be so cool. As I, I think yeah, I described like, to you, too, in an email, we're the overlooked stepchild of uh, the East Coast, so I'm... That, like, was the final, like, pit <laughs> for me. I was like, I absolutely have to go. I know how that feels. I'm Canadian. We're always overlooked. Yeah, that and John Waters, I think, are two. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but percent. Uh, so, how has the the Kickstarter been going? Has it been pretty good so far? It's been so great. Oh my god, people have been so supportive, and um, so many friends from university and from uh, from all these random parts of my life, and people who who support me on my on my blog have just you know, come out and pledge and people pledge whatever they can. It's not about throwing down buckets of money. It's about just giving what you can and, and they're buying the book and they're telling their friends and they're really excited about it. And I've been invited to new locations, which is really exciting. Somebody, a, a pole studio in San Diego wants me to do a show there, which is so exciting. Uh, I've never even been to San Diego, Never mind performed at a pole studio. So even more opportunities seem to be coming up. And um, one of my old uh, bosses from a bar I used to work at in Montreal has offered to host a party for for the Beaver Show tour, which is incredible. Like more opportunities seem to be seem to be arising, and and the stoke is just getting bigger and bigger. And it's it's really it's really encouraging. If the book launch wasn't exciting enough to feel loved, the Kickstarter is just making me feel even more loved and supportive. It's it's really hard. I mean, I. Because I financed the book myself, which is a huge undertaking, and I'm really proud of it. But, you know, then I looked at it, I was like, I need to go on tour now. And, you know, this is something that I can't do alone. And, and I'm just, I'm already backed by 70 people, but it feels like so many more. And I know it will be more. It's just, 
it's it's a great way to to do something that you're really passionate about and to still have creative control and to to have a community behind you that believes in you. It's an incredible feeling. It's a little bit stressful, you know, because you've got to you've got to make you've got to reach your target. If you don't reach your target, you don't get anything. But there's not really a doubt that it won't happen. You know, you just have to believe that it will. Well, you uh, you mentioned one of the rewards that people can get are the hundred days of pleasantries drawings, which I have to say I really love those. Like I think they're so cool, and I thought that was a really awesome thing that you did with the you kind of took uh, moments from you know strip clubs and and people that you interacted with and turned them into these uh, really fun uh, cartoons, which I thought was just awesome. I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about where the idea for that came from. Yeah, I'd love to. The the 100 Days of Pleasantries was a, pro- a project that probably only started a few months ago. I I was on Instagram following this artist who was heralding this movement, like a hashtag movement called 100 the 100 Day Project. And the idea is is to create something every day that's small and manageable and has some sort of theme. But the idea is to sort of create a habit and to be comfortable creating something that isn't perfect, but still putting something out there that contributes to like, you know, your, you know, your art or your craft. So I really like that idea. And I, I like the idea of committing to something for a hundred days. So it started off with kind of just writing a quotation on a piece of paper and maybe a tiny doodle. And I think the first one was this guy, Saul. I know I remember this actually. He said, let me explain to you my shortcomings. <laughs> I have what you call a Madonna whore complex. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I remember writing that down and it was a few days before the project started. And I was like, that's the most honest thing. And he was being perfectly honest. He was perfectly <laughs> honest. and just so real about it. And I thought it was hilarious because you know, we accuse men of having Madonna whore complexes all the time. But when a man just comes out very straightforward, like sipping on his scotch and tells you this, it's just like, <laughs> I love how honest you are right now. So I wrote it down and I drew this like really crappy drawing of a, a, a Madonna with a devil tail or something. Like it was not good. It was <laughs> terrible. But I did it. And then the next day I did another one. And the next day I did another one. And my drawings started to get more elaborate and they really turned into full-fledged cartoons, you know, like with speech bubbles and, and people and interactions and more facial expressions. And by the time I got to a hundred, I, I was, I felt so proud. Like I felt like I had a collection and, and I wanted to keep going and the response was incredible. People really got excited about it and, and were saying that every day they looked forward to my comics. And that's just such a cool idea so i'm still doing them and um i'm gonna turn those into a book but that is not right now that's in the future (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people are like i got your book and i thought it was gonna be your pleasantries and i was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) like i put so like my pleasantries take 20 minutes to do and this book took me five years to write so it's (laughs) funny people are always pleasantly surprised though they're like oh my god i loved your book and it's it's a it's a really nice reaction, but it's it's interesting when people think that your book is just going to be your illustrations. And you're like, actually, it's um, it's kind of a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So yeah, I'm I'm selling limited edition prints of those um, as part of the Kickstarter. And if you want to drop if you want to drop a little bit more for the pledge, I'm doing custom illustrations. So I'm taking commissions. So if you have a particular quote. Or if you want you and your cat doing a pole <laughs> dancing duet, I will illustrate that for you for a two hundred dollar pledge. I don't even have a cat. It also but includes the Off Duty Stripper T shirt and a signed copy of the Beaver Show. I don't have a cat, but now I want a a drawing of me and my cat <laughs> swirling around a pole. I didn't know that I did. Do you have a dog? I don't. I can't have pets in my place. It's okay, very okay. Your best friend. Okay. You and your best friend doing a pole duet. <laughs> I'm I'm open to ideas. I mean, I really like getting creative, and I and I like it to be as absurd as possible. So, no, but the yeah, the sketches are really great, and there are a few of them in the book, if I remember correctly. I think you have there uh, are there are fifteen never before seen 
pleasantry sketch drawings. So there. So for the pleasantry people, they do still get the, the drawings in addition yes, to the thing that took do. you there five years. Scenes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how is the stand up going? Oh, it's so fun. It's terrifying. I really like it. Um, I did a I did my my book launch was a stand up show, and I also had a burlesque performer, and uh, it's a really fun hobby at this point it's still a hobby but it's uh it's challenging and it's not that different from stripping you know you're getting on stage it's harder than stripping though because if no one likes you when you're stripping it doesn't really matter because somebody will like you but making people laugh is like either a yes or no it's very black and white people can't feel gray about comedy it's either you laugh out loud or you don't so the stakes are higher but it's really fun and extremely challenging and it's such a new underworld comics are such bizarre people <laughs> that are so different from people who go to strip clubs um there's a there's a remarkable introversion about comics that that i'm sort of new to because i'm very extroverted i'm kind of an anomaly in that respect with the, with the comedy world but uh it's fun it's weird tough and i i can't wait to do more of it yeah how do i can't wait to do comedy all over with this beaver show tour that's sort of the objective too is rather than doing readings i'm going to be doing stand-up comedy it's just more interesting in my opinion so that's that's what i'm going to be doing how how do comics react to you like when you do the stand-up because like you said they are sort of very particular i i've known a lot of comics they're definitely a very particular breed yeah, I'm not your typical comic, that's for sure. Um, how do comics react to me? I don't know. Most people are pretty cool about it. Um, I mean, comics are like, oh, I don't want to shit on comics, but the like the sexism and the, the stripper jokes are are so brutal. So then if they don't know about me and then I go up on stage and do my set, they're all kind of like dumbfounded. They're like, well, now I can't tell my stripper joke because a real stripper is here and I don't even have enough money to pay for a lap dance. So everyone's going to know my stripper joke is fake, you know? <laughs> and, uh, like there's a lot of like people shit on strippers a lot. Like they're like the butt of every joke. So when I get up there and tell my jokes as a stripper, it's, it's turning it around. I think it makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. And I like that. It's very powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, but I think that people are, I don't know, comics don't really tell you what they think about you. They tell everyone else. So I don't really know. I'm sure I'll find out in the future. <laughs> Maybe they hate me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. No, but I I do think genuinely uh, that it is an awesome uh, goal of yours, that, and especially with this tour of just you know being the person to tell your story versus uh, you know having it told for you. And, and I think that sadly that isn't something that we see. It, you know, there aren't a lot right. of people mm -hmm. who do sex work that are willing to to speak about it. But yeah, the fact that you mm -hmm. are. You know, and you do it like with charm and with comedy and, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're entertaining, you know, and I think that. Thank you. I think that's yeah. a very noble goal. So I, I do think that this is awesome that you're, you're doing all of this and that you've kind of reached this point where you're, you're getting the platform to, to get it all out there. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, it's absolutely important that the women and men who are doing the work are the ones who are telling the stories because otherwise we're all just going to keep being chopped up on law and order. And that's going to be the extent of how we're represented in mainstream media. And that's, that's fucking bullshit. That's awful. You know, that yeah. shouldn't be how we're depicted. So I'm really excited to be part of that change. You know, I can't wait for my stripper sitcom. It's going to be <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> what is, do you have a pitch for the the stripper sitcom? Is there what is your uh, your elevator pitch? Uh, there's tons of irons in fire. Can't talk about them right now though. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but I have some incredible writing partners who are all who've all been in the business, and we have so much fun writing these stories down. 
It is. It's a good time. So there's lots coming out. There's lots of, there's going to be a lot of projects in the next couple of months, years, whatever my lifetime. It's going to be all stripper jokes for the rest of my life. <laughs> do you, uh, do you feel pretty settled in New York? Do you think you'll end up staying in New York or, uh, do you, do you see yourself venturing out? Cause I, I that's so much of your book is just about traveling and visiting different cities. Like, do you actually feel settled? I'm settled. I am settled in New York. My wife and I are really happy here. She works here. So I kind of like, she's my rock, you know, without her, my book wouldn't be done. So she's based in New York. I love to travel. I still love to tra- travel and work. And I do that as often as I can. Um, I definitely want to be by coastal and I definitely want more travel, but New York and New York and LA are kind of where I need to be. If I, if I want to do comedy and storytelling, but what's great about being a comic is you're on the road a lot. So New York is home for now, but I really fantasize about having a backyard and, um, you know, a weeping willow tree in some capacity. So maybe I won't be in New York all the time. I live in 200 square feet. So I think I'm going to outgrow that at some point, <laughs> but I'm not really, um, I'm not, it's not that I'm not loyal to one city, but I have this sort of endless fascination with everywhere, but New York is certainly where I need to be right now for career, but I don't know. I don't know where I see myself ending up, so to speak. I don't really see myself ending up anywhere. I've always been quite nomadic and, and, uh, and I still am at heart, very nomadic, but. You know, I also aspire to have, you know, this career. So that means that I got to be here in New York. And New York's fucking rad. I'm not complaining. It's great. The food is incredible. There are so many weirdos. <laughs> Money's not bad. It's like, it's beautiful outside today. The leaves are falling. It's it's autumn in New York. It's wonderful. Well, that's great. Uh, did uh, Is there anything I haven't asked you about or anything you, you wanted to, to make sure to mention? I don't, I think, I think we've covered it. I'm really excited to get to Baltimore. All right. And yeah. if anyone wants to pledge my Kickstarter, it would mean the world to me. I cannot wait to sign a book and send it your way. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, do you want to give out? Thanks for having me. All the ways to, to follow you, like all the, you know, the website, Kickstarter, all that good stuff. Yes. Um, Kickstarter. If you go to Kickstarter and you search the Beaver Show, you will find me. Or if you want to go to my website, jackthestripper.com, you can also find me there. And my Instagram and Twitter hashtags are at jackthestripper. And Jack is spelled J-E-C-Q like Jacqueline. So it's Jack, J-E-C-Q, the stripper. And that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. thank you so much for doing this. It's always awesome to talk to you, and I look forward to to seeing how this all progresses and you know getting the tour out. Thank you, Joel. It's my pleasure. I can't wait to meet you in person in Baltimore. That'd be very cool. So there you have it, my chat once again with Jack the Stripper. And I, I have to say, I really always love talking to her. Just always really interesting, insightful conversations. And sadly, a perspective that we don't get to hear very often. So, you know, hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you will go to her site. You will support the Kickstarter. You will buy the book, all that good stuff. You will help her get here to Baltimore, the forgotten stepchild of the East Coast. And, uh, you know, go ahead and support it. And uh, you, you can support this show, of course, on HoboTrashCan.com. You can go through if you like this interview. We've got a lot of other interviews. We've got, a, you know, this show is also a weekly podcast you can check out where uh, my friend Lars and I we talk about all the latest in pop culture. So you can check those out. Uh, and, you know, hope, support the show. Support Jack. Um, and that's going to do it for us this week. Remember, kids, don't do drugs or you go to hell before you die.
I appreciated you inviting me out to the the book release thing. I thought that was really cool. Obviously, it was like a weekday during that I couldn't make it out, but yeah. I, I did. I, I definitely appreciate that. It sounded like an awesome time. It was a crazy party. Everybody <laughs> got so drunk. It was great. Hobo Radio is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Thundergrunt Podcast Network. 